Namaste. So we come to the last main chapter or main section of the synthesis of yoga, which is about the yoga of integral self-perfection or the yoga of self-perfection. So uh, first Sri Aurobindo uh, reveals to us, explains to us what is perfection because we all have our idea of perfection. Um, so there is a mundane perfection. Mundane perfection again can be an outward or an inner perfection. So outward perfection means a person is well adjusted to society in a reasonable way. He leads a reasonable life, good citizenship. He takes care of himself as well as those who are around him. And there is a reasonable amount of joy of life, increases happiness, increases prosperity, but without really harming or hurting another person. He lives within the framework of the rules and regulations of his time and the place he is living in. So this is the common idea of perfection, perfect human life. But there is an inner perfection also, which is also regarded as a mundane perfection. It's called mundane because it deals with the earthly life. So in that inner perfection, it's about an ethical life, a life of uh, some kind of a moral and ethical sense, uh, some ideal, for instance, honesty, love, kindness, charity, generosity. So based on which we lead our life. So this is uh, another kind of mundane perfection, which is more ethical and inner. Then another aspect is of religious perfection. So in religious perfection, this life is regarded as sinful. And uh, this sinful life has uh, the possibility of being uh, washed of all its sins. And when it is washed of all its sins, then it is one is ready to enter into a state of perfection, which is not to be found on earth. It is to be found in some heaven beyond or in some vacant or in some higher state of consciousness or higher heavens in the company of God, but elsewhere. So we have these two ideas, the mundane perfection which deals with earth and our dealings with ourselves and others, with our environment. For instance, when it is said we should be more environmentally conscious, we should be good citizens, it is a mundane perfection of an outward kind. When it is said that we should be intrinsically good for the sake of being good, we should be honest, we should be charitable, we should be kind, then it is the mundane perfection but an inner kind. But religious perfection is about by worship of God, by prayer, by spending time more and more, uh, you know, doing, following the uh, tenets of a religion, the laws that are given in a religion. The idea is that I'll be pure, purified of my sins and eventually after death, there will be a post-mortem perfection in some other world, in some other life beyond. So these are the two ideals so far. But neither of this is divine perfection, though both of them can be a preparatory movement. So divine perfection is based on this idea or this truth that there is beyond the limits of human nature, a higher supernature, a divine nature so to say, and it is possible for that divine nature to be embodied by a human being or a group of humanity, meaning thereby human love will get transformed into divine love. Human knowledge can get transformed into a divine gnosis, self-existent knowledge. Human will can be driven completely by the divine will. Human power can be changed into the divine power. So, with all the parts of our being. So, this 
integral self-perfection that Shirobindo speaks of is about embodying the divine perfection upon earth. Meaning thereby that it takes into account both the, both the mundane and the religious ideal. Mundane ideal in the sense that it gives to us a greater fullness of life, understanding and action upon earth. And religious perfection because it fulfills the aspiration and aim of religion to be constantly in the company of the divine, to be as the divine, sadrishya. So it fulfills both these ideals and adds something extra to it. So this is the integral self-perfection and um, all yoga is essentially a conversion of the human life towards the divine that it seeks. So it, it means in each yoga we have seen that there is one power of being which is used. So in Raj Yoga it is the mind and its power of concentration. In Hat Yoga it is the physical body and the prana. In uh, the triple path or Trimarg it is the will, the emotion and the thought. And all these are turned toward the divine. So yoga is about turning to the divine. First there is the turning. And then there is the contact and then there is the union with the divine. So depending on uh, what path we use, we come in contact with that aspect of the divine. And then when we come in contact with that aspect of the divine, we can eventually pass into union with that. So this is how ordinarily uh, traditional yogas operate. Since their aim is to pass out of the circle of nature into the divine, therefore they don't bother about other aspects trying to even do work upon those aspects. So in a bhakti yoga, the mind is not really important. Of course, an intuitive sense will come about life. But the, it's not the mind which is worked upon, but mainly the emotions, purifications of emotions, turning them in a one-pointedness towards the divine. In jnana yoga, it is the thought and intelligence which is important. So emotions are really kept aside. Uh, they are quietened and uh, it is the thought and thought mind that proceeds by concentration upon the idea and passes into divine knowledge. So this is how the traditional yoga approaches, Vedantic yoga. Then there is another yogic system which Shobindu has uh, spoken of and that is the Tantra. So what is the difference between Tantra and Vedanta? Vedanta seeks liberation by picking up one door. It also proceeds from nature but it picks up one activity of nature and by concentrating that activity towards the divine, turning that activity towards the divine, the heart's love for the divine, the thought or mind's uh, meditation upon a particular idea which is reflective of the divine, it eventually passes into that. So this is the Vedantic uh, method. Whereas in Tantra, the, it's a bold synthesis because it says that even nature has within it Something of the divine touch, the divine power. It is a divine Shakti which has limited itself and become nature. So what Tantra does is, Tantra takes one step to another through the ladder of nature and takes the entire bhoga, the enjoyment of its journey towards the divine. So there we have, it uses certain processes like Hatha Yoga, Kundalini, even Tantra uses it. So the idea is that from the material basis, we awaken the Shakti. Right now from the material basis, we have uh, nature as we understand it, what is known as uh, you know inferior nature. But then it awakens all the possibilities of nature in all its blossoming, in all its power and capacities. 
and then it goes from step to step eventually of course towards liberation but it does not discard nature as a useless thing it takes the bhoga enjoyment of the nature and then passes towards mukti or the liberation into the purusha so shurbindu says that in his yoga we use the method of vedanta to arrive at the aim of tantra so aim of tantra is both liberation and the uh, enjoyment which is called as bhoga so in shurbindu's yoga he says we start with uh, we don't start from the base the root awakening one chakra after another in the heart yogic process no we start with this idea that the spirit right now is involved in the mind means it is limited hampered by the mind so it must be liberated from this mental prison and once it is liberated then it presses upon nature to bring out its deeper and higher possibilities so in shubhendra yoga also there is the kundalini aspect the fullness of nature but from above downwards from the crown right down to the base so he puts four uh, aims um, successive aims of the yoga the first part or the first two aims are common in vedanta which is shuddhi and mukti so there is no liberation without purification in fact we can say that purification is liberation because the soul is forever pure but it is covered by ignorance and if you remove this ignorance it will shine in its freedom and its original splendor so there is shuddhi shuddhi and there is mukti the two go together but the next aim because if mukti is the aim then of course this whole field has no meaning so the next aim is along with that then third thing is siddhi and bhukti so shuddhi mukti siddhi bhukti so shuddhi is purification and mukti is liberation siddhi is perfection now after one is liberated then one starts working on the fields of nature and we can take it like this that somebody who has become a qualified doctor and to become a doctor you have to learn to uh, you know subordinate many kinds of your reactions if a doctor gets nervous seeing blood and all he cannot so i'm just giving an example that he has to uh, engage in a kind of purificatory process needed for becoming a doctor he is not supposed to be partial he has to understand he has to be equal to all uh, you know who come to his door not based on money and other things though whether doctors do it or not is a different matter so i'm just giving an example that but when he becomes a doctor then he can bring out new possibilities of cure he can discover new things and uh, you know uh, try out new elements in creation make his medicine art of medicine science of medicine more and more perfect so this of course within the human range but apply it to the higher level so one purifies whatever nature there is given to us and then one liberates the soul liberates from the circle of ignorance then one starts moving towards perfection meaning thereby the soul must blossom fully all its divine possibility the soul is like a seed it must grow into the fullness of the divine tree and then this divine tree this divine oneness with the divine would enjoy this entire nature is given to the divine to enjoy bhukti it is not that there is a personal selfish egoistic enjoyment obviously if that purification is not over one will not even arrive at liberation but it's a divine enjoyment of creation by the divine for the sake of the divine so this is the essential element of this yoga 
then shirbindo reveals to us what really is the uh, this mental apparatus uh, through which we have to work he he confronts us with our own nature so to understand this nature we have to understand there are few things one of course is the body which we identify as ourselves but apart from the body there is the nervous system which is a very important aspect in from the yoga point of view and that's why we we hear things like you must build nerves of steel why nerves of steel because nervous system is the meeting point between the gross physical and the subtle and occult world that's why we'll see that people uh, and the word is nervous envelope so this nervous system has two components one is which is physical and the other is which is psychical this psychical word which is used in synthesis is not referring to the psychic being that uh, this when this portion was written the word psychical psychic prana a word is used psychic prana it refers to the desired soul shubindu speaks of the desired soul also in the life divine and to make it very clear desired soul is what we ordinarily mistake as myself so it is the desired self when i say i want this i like this i will do this you are using the word i but basically it is the desired soul and the desired soul is made up of the prana primarily with a mixture of uh, emotions and the thought which is at the service of the prana and around it the mind creates a kind of ego individuality so that is the psychic the desired soul and the psychic prana why we use the word psychic because it, it is in front of the psychic being so that's where it really operates so here also there is the sense of i but it is not the true psychic being so there is this along with the body and the prana there is this desire self or the desires which are there which uh, operate within our system use the nervous system to feed the body and they also climb into the mind and give take thought forms so this is a desire this desire if it is not taken a thought form will only express its restlessness but the moment it takes a form thought form it is restlessness because i want this and this takes the form of craving um, soul of desire which becomes even more intense so there is the desire and then there are the emotion emotional being and there is the thought structure the mind itself so then shubindra describes what really is this mental being so mental being is composed of these four main elements so one is what is called as the chitta now the word chitta is used in two sense one is satchidanand that is chit so that is consciousness chit and chitta is the subconscious mind it's the mind which receives all kinds of impressions Uh, from everywhere everything we have seen everything we have heard today yesterday as a child all this is creating impressions upon the subconscious mind so this subconscious mind which is like a chitta which receives all impressions is uh, an important element as we will see later on uh, in the yoga because it is the one which has created the matrix on which we operate that's why the importance when the child is born and growing up how to give the right sanskars because if the right sanskars are not there we have fed into the chit at a very young age or even before during conception all kinds of things it has gone into the child's subconscious psyche homeopaths will call it as miasm which can later on throw up diseases but so one is the chit which is the 
which receives all the impressions but this subconscious mind has something very strange it can become active and throw up things from it from time to time into the conscious mentality so this is the other part of it that this mind is not just a passive receiver it has a kind of impulsion as if this that impulsion is just like uh, in the sea when there is a tsunami or there is a volcano so what happens volcano is erupting from below or there is an earthquake from below or there is a tsunami from below so there is a rush of these subconscious elements which have gone inside and time to time they can rise into the emotional being into the mentality and it can pollute corrupt derail dislocate all kinds of things described beautifully in savitri or rather almost very powerfully people get scared when they read man holds even the demon and the jinn and the animal in his house not just the gods alone and sometime when they rise they can create inferno they can create hell and dislocate life well they have their own place but that's a different story altogether so there is the chitta then there is the manas which is what normally we think of the mind but manas is simply the sense mind so what does the sense mind do it receives all the sense impressions organizes it and gives it a form so for instance through the eyes through ears i am receiving impressions from all over now what does manas do it integrates them and gives a form akriti and it will organize these forms into some kind of a working arrangement that is the role of the manas and manas can also act as a kind of instant reaction for instance it sees a snake it can jump it can uh, it can give to the nervous system the impulsion that jump run or fight so all this is part of the manas which is primarily the sense mind now manas and chitta is common to animal and human beings but there is something else in human beings which makes us characteristically human is buddhi so buddhi is a third element which evolves and buddhi is as we shall see it seems to evolve from nature but it it is actually a power of the soul so when the soul's light begins to fall on nature then buddhi develops out of it so what is buddhi buddhi is the power to discern so now once again we see chitta has received impressions then manas is taking impressions from the sense organizing it now buddhi will discern which one to use which one not to use how to use it how by using it which direction it will go for instance if if the sense mind the manas sees the snake the mind will uh, jump it will give a message to the nervous system jump but how will the buddhi operate buddhi may not operate like that buddhi will look at it and well again this not to be tried but <laughs> buddhi will look at it and decide whether it's poisonous non poisonous it's harmful it is lying on the side what should i do so buddhi will do this but normally there is no time unless one has trained in a particular field so recently i came to know of um, in fact uh, my son was saying that he was driving through auroville and there was this friend of his seated behind and this was a snake coiled up with a little hood uh, uh, something you know on the road to auroville so this boy said stop stop so he stopped so uh, this boy was from auroville he went all the way took the snake kept it on the side now the story doesn't end here so when he goes further he says wait 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 he went back picked up the snake and put it back so my son said why are you doing this i mean somebody else will have to 
will get into problem it's nice it's okay you have done this let it be a no no we shouldn't disturb the snake now this i don't think was buddhi operating here <laughs> because you you leave the snake once you have done this bit and the snake quietly so now this is also a training one can train the sense mind to react in very different ways the whole principle of yoga is to train the sense mind to act under the impulsion of a buddhi here it's not just buddhi but just a training but yet it can give a very different response instead of fear it can give the response of kindness uh, instead of hatred it can give the response of love so this power of buddhi is to reflect to detach and then create new values of the same experience so this buddhi now this buddhi itself has several layers but for the practical purposes we can say there are two main strata of buddhi one the lower buddhi and the higher buddhi lower buddhi is at the mercy of the mind sense mind so what does it do if there is an event the lower buddhi immediately gives it a value if something has happened which is not in favor of me oh this is bad if somebody has said something which is not good for me oh that person is bad and instantly it forms these views and based on it it uh, gives us a practical course of action but the higher buddhi will not do like that higher buddhi will turn upward for a greater light it will wait it will pause and then it will receive a deeper understanding and so many time we can see the same situation our instant understanding is very different than as time passes so when time passes this higher buddhi has a chance that's why people say don't take an action act under the rush of an impulse because chances are that you will repent it later <laughs> give time as you give time buddhi can disengage itself turn towards a greater light we will see the same thing in a new light and then act so third is buddhi and the fourth aspect in human beings is ahankar so we have this uh, what is that famous sankracharya uh, mano buddha mano buddha chitta ahankar so these are the four and of course indriya which is there Uh, so this is the way the entire human psychological apparatus is built so how are we going to work upon it in yoga so shobindo brings that first thing first is he has spoken of purification so where do we begin with so these are all going to become instruments of the spirit in traditional yoga we don't uh, we discard the whole field so that bhajan complete thing is uh, stroth is mano buddha chittang ahankar Uh, and then it says i am none of these things chidanand rupam shivam shivam so there these things are regarded as a field of nature and this field is created by nature for some purpose or its own purpose and while you are caught in this field you have to act according to the practical reality which means there will be the lower buddhi operating there and it will see the pragmatic aspect should i do this or not depending upon the pragmatic reality if i am ill i may be sachidanand swarupa inside and i may have realized it yet i'll take medicine because there is no other way which exists today to heal the body so this is how the traditional understanding of yoga is that this entire field of nature but shurabindu says all of these can become which means now the body the sense mind the emotions even desire we may use the word desire in the higher sense but all of them can become instrument of the spirit so all this entire nature has to become instrument of the spirit and for which there are three main movements one is souls disengagement from nature 
it becomes a witness. So first practice is to become a witness. The second practice is, it becomes not just a witness, it begins to understand it. That, that's where the higher buddhi comes. So it begins to understand the field in which Shetra So it begins to understand the field first on the basis of a higher buddhi, turning it upward and inward, then in its own light. So higher buddhi can give an understanding up to a point. That's where the Gita, you know, speaks of beyond the buddhi is the greater self. But um, that is still uh, imperfect. So beyond the higher buddhi is intuition which can mediate between the divine self and nature. But that is not spoken of in other yogas. But Shobindo speaks of the light of intuition will replace buddhi. So in that intuition and illumination we can look at this field of nature and understand it better and clearer. And then he says, um, so these are the instruments of the spirit and then he speaks about the purification and in purification there is the lower mentality and purification of the buddhi itself. So purification of the lower mentality meaning thereby not the buddhi but all other elements which means the desire self. So main problem here repeatedly is the desire self and the knot of the ego. They have to be cut and we have to learn to act without the impulsion of desire. So many people feel if there is no impulsion of desire, they will be a blank. Because normally we move by desire. But that's where Shubhinder says, these are instruments of the spirit and if you eliminate desire, then the true will replaces it. So it is this true will which will act and not the desired self. So the desired self actually distorts the true will. And when we eliminate the desired self, then the true will emerges from inside, which is like the divine impulsion within us and based on that we act. Similarly, this desired self colors our emotions, our emotional being. So what happens when we purify the emotional being of all desire and craving? So will we stop loving? He says no. Then the true soul of love will emerge from inside. So this is how one has to proceed. By eliminating desire, one discovers the true will by eliminating craving from emotions. Which means I love because of this. I want this. I am hungry for love. When we eliminate all these things, then love does not vanish but it becomes purified and the true love begins to emerge from within. And then he goes on to the purification of the intelligent will which is what buddhi is about. So initially buddhi is at the mercy of the sense mind. So, we have this habitual tendency to justify whatever we are doing. That's when the buddhi is at the mercy of the sense mind. But we have to discover, there are different ways. One of them is to discover a higher transpersonal standard. That yes, my buddhi, uh, the immediate reaction is this. But in the mother and Shirobindo's light, let's, let, I'm just putting one practical way. Here, of course, Shirobindo doesn't say in my, in my and the mother's light. But he says, in the light of the greater self, in the light of the spirit, we should learn to see things. So higher buddhi begins to start, it begins to control and master the field of nature. And he gives certain example. He says, for instance, prana needs enjoyment. It is natural for prana. But when the buddhi is not purified and the prana is not purified, it runs after gross enjoyment. So for it only very good food, very, you know, 
or titil whatever titillates the senses whatever gives us gives to the emotion a high that is something which which the prana wants but when it is purified of this gross mixture then there is a true enjoyment that emerges for example music one example is music when the prana is not pure then the kind of music people like is very crude gross and when it is purified then one takes the true joy of music more refined music and something can be even more refined and that uh, you know that is the reason why one of the reasons why even cinema all these activities are allowed in the ashram because if it's not like seeing cinema is a table but watch a movie but watch it consciously and watch a good film there will be a few good films watch it which has a uh, which brings out beauty which brings out a great aesthetic sense or a truth or courage or power so this is how the buddhi must train the prana that enjoyment is fine but this enjoyment should itself be the release of the true aesthetic sense the true sense of beauty the soul of delight so when it teaches us to take the true rasa of existence not become nirasa but take the true rasa of existence and we have that story when shobin the eats and says but this pantua is uh, if it is pantua i can uh, have try it at the same time when there is a food given which doesn't have any uh, salt in it and shobin the takes it and someone asked him sir but there was no salt in it he says yes but there is a uh, taste of tastelessness so in that way the true delight begins to emerge so this is an intermediate phase because even the higher buddhi cannot completely purify the entire apparatus because there is a great interdependence of the entire thing if we try to purify the emotions we can't do it unless desires are purified we may purify the desires but unless emotions are purified unless the thought mind is purified so there is an interconnectedness of all this entire machinery it's not just one part we'll begin with one part whatever is our immediate within our uh, you know field of experience uh, and awareness but yet we must know that a complete purification is not possible only by the uh, use of buddhi and by purifying the intelligent will and the lower mentality we can arrive at perfection no it won't be possible but it will create the ground for the greater perfection the divine perfection so this is a preliminary exercise that one must indulge in so this was basically the 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 1 first 7 chapters which we have just spoken of and now i'll read something from these chapters so we'll read a little bit about buddhi because this is the most important element therefore in dealing with the buddhi so what does buddhi do beyond a point he says it will either reflects a greater truth but it will be paralyzed into action you see this is a problem because the buddhi may show us that all sides are true so how do we act so in action it either takes a pragmatic approach that's what we see in shankaracharya's doctrine that vyavarik satya because it cannot operate it can reflect a higher truth very vast it can climb to that level where it sees that all views opinions 
standpoints are true. So how does it act? It gets paralyzed into action or becomes chaotic. Why? Because the will is not purified. So that will which should be impelling the being to act, that is not purified. So if we just use the buddhi, it can reach that point and yet it will arrive at a limitation. Or one may choose one aspect of the divine. One aspect in creation and based on that one colors one's action. So for instance, the higher buddhi may choose love or kindness or compassion as the leading principle like Buddhist thought, compassion. So based on that compassion, it will deal with the rest of nature, which again is not the divine perfection. So Sri says that, here he is stressing on two things which are most important in this yoga. He has stressed it in the first part also and that is faith and will. So this is the beauty of the soul that whatever it has faith in and whatever it persistently aspired, that it can become. This is given to soul. But it may have to struggle with nature, more or less. But eventually soul being a portion of the divine, it's like Whatever divine will is, it is going to fulfill itself. So it's like a miniature divinity. And that's what Sri speaks of. What it believes itself to be by the whole active will of its consciousness in its instrument. That it is or tends to become. Yo, yash, shraddha, sa, eva, sa. What it believes it can be and has full faith in becoming. That it changes to in nature, evolves or discovers. So faith and aspiration are two most important elements of this yoga. And that faith should never be allowed to be clouded, whatever be the appearances. Faith in transformation, one will find a way for the transformation. Aspiration for the change, one will ultimately end up changing. This power of the soul, these are powers of the soul, faith and aspiration. This power of the soul over its nature is of the utmost importance in the yoga of self-perfection. If it did not exist, we could never get by conscious endeavor and aspiration out of the fixed groove of our present imperfect human being. If any greater perfection were intended, we should have to wait for nature to effect it in our own slow or swift process of evolution. Nature also has within it ultimately divine perfection. But if we allow nature to carry the soul in its own journey 10,000 years, God knows how many times human beings will blow this world over. Not 10,000 is a uh, very optimistic estimate. (laughs) Maybe another million years. But the soul has this possibility that with faith and aspiration, persistent, not that one day it had faith and aspiration, it can cross this journey and compress it and make it happen now rather than hereafter. In this, in the lower forms of being, the soul accepts this complete subjection to nature. So there are people who say we cannot change. This is the lower form. So for practical purposes, one has to make a distinction between lower and higher nature. There is a veil between the, in higher nature, all is self-fulfilled. In all its original plenitude. In the lower nature, everything is like a shadow, limited, distorted. And for practical purposes, one has to distinguish between soul and nature. When the soul is subject to nature, it simply follows whatever nature says. So nature says not possible. So there is this within this feeling that nothing is possible. So he 
reminds us that. In the lower forms of being, the soul accepts this complete subjection to nature, but as it rises higher in the scale, it awakes to a sense of something in itself which can command nature. But it is only when it arrives at self-knowledge that this free will and control becomes a complete reality. This change affects itself through process of nature, not therefore by any capricious magic. There is a process in this change. It has to persistently will and have faith. And slowly we will see many approximation, many efforts, but slowly nature begins to change in the direction of faith and aspiration. When complete mastery is gained, then the process by its self-effective rapidity may seem a miracle to the intelligence, but it still proceeds by law of the truth of spirit. When the divine within us, by close union of our will and being with him, takes up the yoga and acts as the omnipresent, omnipotent master of our nature. So initially the soul tries, struggles by its own capacities, and a time comes when it Comes, becomes more and more closely in communion and union with the divine. When that happens, suddenly the whole thing takes place magically, like a miracle. So there is a twofold effort. One is to disengage the soul from the field of nature, to continue to press upon nature, to change by persistent aspiration and faith. And the second is for the soul to arrive at greater and greater union with the divine. And then he speaks about the ego, that ego is not the real self, but an instrumentation of nature, by which it has developed a sense of limited and separate individual being. It was needed to create an individuality. But the soul is conscious also of the universality. And there are many powers within. Shubhita speaks of in instruments of the spirit, subliminal mind, all that, of course. Instead of theory, it's much better that you know one discovers them. They get unveiled, subliminal mind and its capacities, clear voice, clear audience, subtle senses, all that gets released as we begin to enlarge the field of yoga under the pressure of the soul. While the identification lasts, identification of the soul with the ego, there is a self-imprisonment in this habitual round and narrow action. And until it is transcended, there can be no free use by the soul of its individual living, much less a real self-exceeding. For this reason, an essential movement of the yoga is to draw back from the outward ego sense by which we are identified with the action of mind, life and body and live inwardly in the soul. The liberation from an externalized ego sense is the first step towards the soul's freedom and mastery. So this is the first step. Mother speaks of it as stepping back, learning to step back from the world of nature and see what is really of lasting value. Many things are there which happen, which are not of lasting value. And one has to learn to step back from all that is happening. And then finally speaks about the buddhi. The movement of the buddhi to exceed the limits of the sense mind is an effort already half accomplished in the human evolution. The original action of the thought mind, the intelligence and will in man is a subject action. 
it accepts the evidence of the senses. So what does the sense mind do? Whatever it sees, hears, it believes. Whatever it, it's, it, it relies on the sensory input. This is the average thought mind. The commands of the life cravings, the thought mind acts at the, is at the mercy of the desires, the life cravings. Instincts, desires, emotions, the impulses of the dynamic sense mind and only tries to give them a more orderly direction and effective success. The higher action of the buddhi is to exceed and control the lower mind not indeed to get rid of it because this has to be transformed but to raise all the action of which it is the first suggestion into the nobler plane of will and intelligence. So beautifully he says, first suggestion. First suggestion is I should do like this. Hasty action. Step back. First suggestion. Say this. Step back. Allow the buddhi to operate. First suggestion. This is what I must do. Step back. First suggestion. This is what I understand. Step back. So when we not we don't act under the impulsion of the first suggestion, allow the higher buddhi to wait and open to a greater light, then we will see a greater truth dawning upon it. The impressions of the sense mind are used by a thought which exceeds them and which arrives at truths they do not give. Ideative truths of thought Truths of philosophy and science, a thinking, discovering, philosophic mind overcomes, rectifies and dominates the first mind of sense impressions. So when we apply the higher buddhi onto manas, then slowly that's the mind which changes into a philosopher's mind, which tends to think, understand in the true way and build a whole structure of thought. Eventually one has to go past it. But if you try to, if one tries to leap, then that is what is called as bypassing the human. And if we do that, we fall because you have not created the ground for transformation. So therefore, this process, the impulsive, reactive, sensational mentality, the life cravings and the mind of emotional desire are taken up by the intelligent will and are overcome, are rectified. First emotional reaction may be this, but the buddhi must take it up and rectify it and sets over them a law of right impulse, right desire, right emotion and right action. So that's how the buddhi must first train the lower nature. So buddhi trains the lower nature, the soul steps forward, takes control, then there is ascension towards intuitive mind, in which case buddhi is replaced by a higher Intuitive and illumined mentality. And then of course there is the supramental change. A deeper, happier aesthetic mind which discovers and sets above them a law of true delight and beauty. Not crude and vulgar sense of joy, but something which is deeper and better. All these new formations are used by general power of the intellectual, thinking and willing man in a soul of governing intellect, imagination, judgment, memory, volition, discerning reason. So all these are taken up by the buddhi. Basically it means do not act under rush and impulse and haste. Step back. 
open to the greater light above within whatever is available wait for the storm to st- settle and then the buddhi will see things in a better and truer way and then to act under the impulsion of the divine if possible if not then buddhi can inform and have some kind of action the yoga of self perfection is to make this double movement as absolute as possible the intelligence colored by desire is an impure intelligence and it distorts truth so because i desire things in a certain way intelligence is clouded it will show you things which is not there because there is the desired soul the will colored by desire is an impure will and it puts a stamp of distortion pain and imperfection upon the soul's activity all emissence of the emotions of the soul of desire is an impurity and similarly distorts both the knowledge and the action all subjection of the buddhi to the sensations and impulses is an impurity so see purification in yoga has a very different meaning than what we understand in ethics so here we have to learn to disengage from sensations emotions not to destroy them not to kill them not to destroy distort them but after separating we look upon them reflect the light of something greater and see them in the true light the right measure and then we act upon it not by any artificial standard but by a deeper ethical and aesthetic sense the thought and will have to stand back detached from desire troubling emotion distracting or mastering impulse and to act in their own right until they can discover a greater guide a will tapas or divine shakti which will take the place of desire and mental will and impulse and ananda or pure delight of the spirit and an illumined spiritual knowledge which will express themselves in the action of that shakti this complete detachment impossible without an entire self government equality calm sama samata shanti is the surest step toward the purification of the buddhi a calm equal and detached mind can alone reflect the peace or pace the action of the liberated spirit so we'll stop here and continue in the next session on synthesis namaste